Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Daniel. I am the host for today for Now Common Convos. Uh, today we have Aaron Burry as our guest. Uh, super excited to be on this week. Aaron has a ton of experience in the startup space, uh, in the marketing space, in the tech world, and uh, she's going to be giving some insights. Uh, we're going to have you know pretty in-depth Q&A with her today. Um, so she'll be joining us in just a moment. Uh, in the meantime, I also wanted to mention that today we just uh, introduced a new resource called Stay Home, Stay Inspired. If you check out our profile afterwards, uh, there's a link in our, our profile. Uh, we put together a, a whole bunch of resources as a team um, for creatives coping during this time. There's six different categories uh, and there's a ton of resources. So right before I uh, we get started, I'm gonna introduce Erin. Um, so Erin, as I mentioned, she's a marketer, she's a tech expert. Um, we've worked together in the past through the agency and through um, some awesome nonprofit initiatives, which you will hear about. Um, right now, she's the CEO at the estate planning startup called Willful, and she was previously managing director at an agency, which we worked together at. So she's also an advisor in a few startups, um, Quill, Posi, Press News, and I'm sure there's others. She also has a side hustle, um, which is County Wine Tours in Prince Edward County, which I would love to be uh, right now. Um, she's also been marketing magazines top 13 to 30. So without further ado, let me uh, get Aaron Burry on here. We'll just wait for Aaron. I will ask her to join once more. She did join. Perfect, so today we have a bunch of questions lined up. Hello, Erin. Hi, how's it going? It's great, how about you? I'm good, thanks. Just trying to get my setup perfect here. I don't have a nice plant in the background, just white walls, <laughs> but it'll have to do. <laughs> Not a problem. You are in a much better location than I am, I'm assuming anyways. So I'm sure you have the the weather and the awesome scenery instead. Hi, Jen. <laughs> um, yeah, it's awesome. not, not the best weather today. It's kind of crap. My dad was just over cutting the lawn. So I was able to socially distance and, uh, and say hi to him. But it's like two degrees here or something ridiculous. So okay. May has definitely not arrived yet. Right, right, right. No, not at all. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. You know, there's a, a ton going on right now. Um, I wanted to get into um, a little bit of your personal background, your career background. Um, so why don't we start with that and you can just dive in and tell us how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, so I am uh, unfortunately no longer 30 under 30. So I am 34, <laughs> which means that I've been around the block a couple times in the startup space. Uh, but growing up, I did not aspire to be an entrepreneur or to be in startups at all. I actually grew up with parents who, uh, my dad was a community newspaper journalist. My mom was a marketing executive at Nortel. So, and both of them were journalism grads. So my goal was always to go to journalism school, get a marketing job like my mom, work for a big company. And maybe one day, if I crossed my fingers and worked hard, I would make six figures and have my own office in some big corporate office tower. Um, and now when I 
think back to that goal, it seems like a, a world away because uh, when I graduated university, I about a year into my uh, marketing career, I was recruited to go be the second employee at a startup. And it was kind of like that movie Sliding Doors where you can take one path or the other. I think if I had stayed at that agency, I might just have that corner office right now at a big company. But thankfully, I, uh, I was introduced to the world of startups and entrepreneurs. So uh, through working at that startup and working for a really amazing female entrepreneur named Sarah Prevett, uh, I really just learned a ton about entrepreneurship, what that even meant. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s where it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur and there weren't a lot of role models out there, especially for, for women. Um, so yeah, so I got introduced to the startup world. I worked at that startup for about five years. Uh, and during part of that time, our startup got brought on to Post Media, and I uh, was on the founding team at BetaKit. So I put my journalism degree to good use, spent a couple years as the editor there, and really had a chance to interview some of the most amazing entrepreneurs from around the world, including the founders of Stripe and people like Mark Cuban and Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. Uh, so that was really just a cool way to learn about other people's startup journeys. And I definitely, you know, I think people say you catch the entrepreneurial bug. I certainly caught the bug myself. Um, and I spent about five years after that uh, as a partner at an agency that did creative and branding and PR. And while I didn't start that business from the ground up, it very much felt like my baby. Uh, but this, you know, uh, the the journey that I was on led me to launch my own company for the first time, which is, as you mentioned, a bike wine tour company in Prince Edward County. Uh, and that uh, has always been a fun side hustle, never my full time job. But uh, unfortunately, it's on hold for the foreseeable future until uh, until we're allowed to go outside and do fun things like go on wine tours again. But that's just a bit of my background. So a mix of startups and marketing and entrepreneurship and uh, running uh, service businesses and and now here we are. Amazing. I love it. And yeah, someone had asked about the wine tour. So I'm glad you touched on that. Um, I would love to know first, we'll, we'll touch on the marketing side, and then we'll, we'll get into a bit about Willful. Um, so as a marketer, or as someone who was working in, the, in a marketing space, um, what, can you tell us about uh, a project, either a fun one or an exciting one, um, something that's memorable that you could share uh, with us? For sure. So I think uh, I'm going to use an example of one that wasn't actually a client project. So when I was running uh, my agency, uh, you know, often, and you know this better than anyone, Daniel, but when you're doing client work, there are often a lot of constraints, right? They have legal departments and they have approval levels. And so you might come up with this really amazing creative idea. And by the time it actually uh, gets launched to the world, it's kind of been, you know, massaged a little bit away from that original breed. Uh, so at the agency, we try to use internal branding projects to kind of have an outlet for that creativity where we could launch it exactly as we wanted. So one of those uh, internal branding projects was called Agency or Porn. And it was a microsite that it was a bit of a game that asked you to decide whether the name of something was an ad agency or an adult film. So some examples were things like Grip, um, and a bunch of other really not safe for work ones, not safe for Instagram. Uh, but it was really fun. We had this really interactive microsite, this beautiful brand that our art director designed. Uh, it was really social and shareable. And 
our goal with it really was to put ourselves on the map with industry publications and with other partner agencies. And we definitely did that. We were featured in advertising publications around the world. Uh, and we actually had agencies emailing us asking if they could be added to the site because they thought that their name sounded a bit sexual. So I thought that was also really funny. We thought people would be <laughs> mad about being on the site. But <laughs> no, we got a lot of uh, emails from questionably named agencies who wanted to be added. So I think the reason that was my favorite is uh, it was just one of those examples of what can happen if you don't constrain creativity and if you, you know, really are able to conceptualize, develop and launch an idea from start to finish and there's no kind of constraints put on it. Right. And it also gives you an idea. It gives you a chance to have that full creative freedom where normally you're under restrictions and rules from your clients and brand guidelines and things like that, right? For sure. I mean, the restriction for us, you know, the thing that our big clients didn't have was budget restrictions. So we had to do that entire project for about $10,000. So build, you know, hire a developer to build a microsite and market it and all of that type of stuff. So, I mean, there's always constraints when you're working on a marketing project. I don't think anybody, small brand or big brand has no constraints. Sometimes the constraint is budget. Sometimes the constraint is, you know, your legal department. Sometimes it's your boss saying no to something. But, um, you know, in that case the only constraint really was budget so but we knew that from the beginning so it was easier to plan for it versus you know we've worked on I worked on many corporate projects or client projects where you know the budget was said to be x and then it was slashed and so you end up having to kind of make do with a lot less than you thought you would have and I mean that's just the reality of working with clients and I'm sure right now a lot of agencies including yours are dealing with adjusted budgets one way or the other uh, due to what's going on. Exactly, exactly. Um, so you've kind of had a lot of exciting projects with clients, obviously you worked with some of their really cool campaigns, like when Foodora came to launch here in Canada. Um, did any of that work or those projects, did any of that kind of inspire you or motivate you or help you out when you launch your own venture um, at all? Did you kind of have any takeaways from that process? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I worked in-house at a startup for many years on marketing and PR, so I definitely had the chance to test things. But um, you just got so much exposure to a variety of different, um, you know, different industries, different budget levels, different channels that you use, uh, B2B versus B2C. So it was, you know, running an agency and working with clients for five years was essentially just like having a sandbox to play in where you could mm -hmm. try different things. And, um, you know, we worked with a lot of clients like Inkbox that were a little bit more edgy and were willing to do interesting things. Like after the Trump debate uh, where he called Hillary a nasty woman, we <laughs> had them create a nasty woman Inkbox tattoo and pitch that out to media. And then we did work with a lot of, you know, bigger brands like TELUS and PayPal who, you know, had the big corporate legal departments where it was, you could be, um, you know, you maybe had more people and resources, but didn't have as much ability to be creative. But I think, um, having an agency and working with clients is an excellent way just to understand the fundamentals of marketing. You know, who is your customer? Where do they spend time online and offline? How can you influence their decisions? And, um, and yeah, I took a lot of those lessons away to, to my own companies. Amazing. So with that said, we're going to dive in and talk uh, about Willful. So I'll just give everyone a quick overview, which is that Willful makes it affordable, convenient and easy for Canadians to create a legal will online. Um, and so you have a platform that provides simplified estate planning services, 
and users can create a will or power of attorney in less than 20 minutes, uh, which sounds great. Um, so I would love to dive in on the startup story of Willful and how that came to be. Yeah, it's always fun when I introduce myself, I say, oh, yeah, I have an estate planning company and people's eyes sometimes glaze over. And then I say, oh, but I also have a wine tour business. And then I get really <laughs> excited. So it's nice to have something that's uh, on the more fun side of the spectrum. But I mean, you know, uh, the, the idea for Willful, I have to give full credit to my husband and co-founder, Kevin, who's lurking somewhere in the background here. Uh, so we'd probably get really mad if I didn't give him credit, but he deserves <laughs> it because uh, I've, while I am an entrepreneur now, I would not say I'm that, you know, creative entrepreneur who's constantly coming up with a million ideas. I'm definitely the, the person that helps to execute and grow the brand, but I don't think I've ever had that million dollar startup idea. And Kevin is the total opposite. He, he actually called me the dream killer at one point because he would come <laughs> to me with so many ideas and I'd always be like, no, like I write about startups for a living. I interview entrepreneurs for a living. Like, no, that's not going to fly. No, I read about that exact same idea two months ago. Uh, but it was after his, uh, his uncle passed away unexpectedly in 2015, and his family and I were sitting around and kind of discussing what his uncle would have wanted in terms of burial and funeral plans and just a whole bunch of unanswered questions. And even though his uncle had a will, he had never discussed any of those things with his family, despite the fact that he had been married for 40 years. So I think that really illustrated the, one of the problems, which is that we don't want to talk about death with our families and we're, we'll do anything to avoid it. But also it kind of illustrated this this gap that existed for people like us who were, you know, using tools like Wellsimple and were very tech savvy. And uh, we kind of looked into it and realized that the options for um, recording those wishes or even creating a will were very antiquated and that we were doing it the same way that we essentially were, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and we ha and he saw some examples of companies that were doing a great job of, of essentially what Willful does in other markets around the world, but it hadn't really come to Canada. So uh, he came to me and told me the idea. And I said, could you pick a less sexy startup idea, please? <laughs> like estate planning, this is what you want to spend all of your time on. Uh, but I think, you know, he was super passionate about it because he had seen the impact of not having those conversations on a family. And, uh, and he knew that there was very little competition, that it was an industry to use an overused term that's ripe for disruption. And, uh, and so I think he, he was really excited to kind of pursue it. And so he quit his job at the time to pursue this and get it off the ground. And I, uh, stayed at, at the agency and um, about a year into the journey, I joined full time as uh, co-founder and CEO. Amazing. So yeah, so you, you got kind of the you were you were doing both at the same time, right? And then you ended up taking over as CEO. And from that point forward, um, would you say that things kind of um, started growing super quickly? I know you got a lot of press very, very early on. And you had, of course, you had, you know, great branding and design, of course, that that helps. But um, it seems to have taken off. And obviously, with uh, COVID-19, we can talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but yeah, I would love to give people some context as to, you know, it went from that idea to where exactly it is now. Yeah, so I think in the early days, so Willful launched in October of 2017. And the challenges in the early days were, 
definitely more, you know, how do we get, because neither of us are estate lawyers, we always took the approach of partnering with estate lawyers in each province to help to write the, the legal document content itself. Uh, so finding lawyers that would give us the time of day or that would be willing mm. to partner with us when we were a, a new brand, right? We didn't have those trust indicators like we do now, customer reviews and press. And I think that's true for any brand that's starting out when you're approaching suppliers, manufacturers, clients, stakeholders, when you don't have that reputation behind you, it can be really difficult to get people to take you seriously or to trust you. Uh, so the challenges in the early days were less about marketing and finding an audience and, and more about just the behind the scenes work, you know, building the platform and getting the legal content uh, to a place where we really trusted that it would be the right fit for customers. Um, and then in the early days, I think it was just building a bit of a foundation for the brand, you know, the customer service aspect of it, some of the content on our website that's more educational in nature. So when I joined in April of 2019, a lot of that foundational stuff had already been worked out. And then it was really, how do you actually narrow down your audience from anybody who needs a will to very specific kind of target audiences? And then how do you actually start to kind of build on that foundation? And you know, we have a big challenge in our business that I think a lot of people don't have, which is people actively try to avoid thinking about the subject matter of our product and our service, right. right? I mean, yes, no one likes to do their taxes, but they don't actively avoid it because they think doing their taxes will somehow bring doom and gloom on their family. That's very different with estate planning. People think that if you have the conversations about it, you're somehow inviting death into your life, uh, that it's kind of a bad omen or bad karma. And obviously we feel very differently that having these conversations actually saves your family a lot of trouble. It gives them peace of mind. It gives you a voice after you're gone. So our biggest challenge was how do you actually get people to think about things that they actively try not to think about? <laughs> and also how do you create a sense of urgency around something that doesn't have a deadline, right? Tax time comes around every year and other than this year where it's been pushed a little bit, you know that every year on the same day, your taxes are gonna be due. Estate planning is a bit different because you don't know when you might be in an accident and need a power of attorney, and you don't know when you're going to pass away. And you usually assume it's going to be in 60 years, and we know that that's not always the case. But we have a challenge in not using fear and anxiety in our marketing, but rather right. focusing on legacy and peace of mind. So I think that was really the challenge when I joined. You know, we had the foundational stuff, but then it was how do we actually find people who are at the point where they're willing to think about this, people like new parents who have someone else in their life that they have to think about. Um, and how do we, how do we create a sense of urgency without using fear and anxiety and rather using the softer sides of, of the emotional spectrum. So right. um, yeah, that's been the last year. That's, that's, a, yeah, it's, it's a big transition. It's a huge challenge too, because if you look at the industry, it's a lot of, um, legalese and it's very branded or thought it's actually unbranded it's very corporate looking it's very lawyer looking and what I love about the willful brand is that you've been able to make it look more accessible and approachable and I think that's kind of what we need if you're trying to attract this younger market and look at getting people to actually approach something that's not the most fun to talk about um, on that note do you ever do you ever get like like not not down about it but does it ever bother you talking about death so frequently well it's it's funny because we've almost become desensitized to the topic right because we do discuss it every day and it's very commonplace for us to be sharing articles about you know a new funeral 
parlor in the UK or a new burial method in Singapore. <laughs> these are the kinds of articles that we're sharing in our Slack. But I think we're reminded often that the levity of what we're dealing with and, uh, or the gravity, sorry, of what we're dealing with, not the levity. So for example, we've had, you know, multiple customers reach out and say that their relative has passed away with, you know, with a willful will. And that's really um, a great reminder, A, of why we're doing this, because knowing that they passed away and had a willful will means that their family will have a bit of an easier time. But also just a reminder that, the you know, we are dealing with a topic that's really serious. And that's why we've always tried to maintain this balance between having a bit of a friendly approachable brand but one that's still professional and appropriate for the subject that we're discussing i mean yeah. we've done we've done some fun you know cheeky things like valentines that say you know roses are red violets are blue statistically speaking all outlive you because women live longer than men yeah. and so we've done some fun things like that but i think we always have to remember that at the end of the day we are dealing with a subject that's really serious and um, I always try to use the example of life insurance. Life insurance is pretty similar to estate planning. It's not for you. It's for the people that you leave behind. It just has better branding. It's not called death insurance. It's called life insurance. And it focuses on, you know, the positives of the impact that it will have when you pass away. But yeah, to your point, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely something our team is used to talking about, but it always is like a gut punch when we get, you know, a message from someone who shares their story of either how they lost someone and how that led them to create their own emergency plans or how they lost someone with a willful uh, will. Right, absolutely. Um, so we did touch on obviously just how you're positioning it and how you're communicating these types of subjects that are sometimes, you know, uh, taboo or the things that people want to avoid. Now, when we look at um, what's happening with COVID-19, obviously marketers and startups don't necessarily know how to navigate that, what to post about, what to share, how frequently to post. So um, I'd love if you could touch on, you know, some, uh, some, do you know any examples of organizations or startups that have done a great job of navigating marketing during this time? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think we were all trying to figure it out in mid-March when this you know, it started to become clear that this was more serious. I distinctly, I'm sure we all remember the night that the Raptors, you know, NBA was canceled and yes. Tom Hanks was diagnosed. That to me was really the turning point when this went from, oh, maybe this is just the flu, but a little bit worse to, oh my <laughs> God, this is going to fundamentally change the way that we work and live. Um, and yeah. I think it was shortly after that, we started, we all started to get those COVID-19 emails from brands, right? We're here for you. We're thinking of you. Um, so I think the <laughs> first, the first thing that seemed really tone deaf was brands that just weren't acknowledging that anything was happening, right? Like the first key to marketing during something like this is it's not that you, everything has to grind to a halt. I mean, especially for small businesses, uh, they need to keep marketing during this time to be able to, you know, find clients and, and replace business that might be lost. So to me, it's not about stopping marketing. It's about acknowledging what's happening, you know, sending out that regular 25% off socks online just sounds tone deaf unless you're alluding to hey you're probably spending more time at home and you're lounging around and right. socks are great for your remote work habits right so i think it's number one acknowledging that it's happening and uh number two sharing sharing personal stories right i mean we really struggled in the early days of this because yes we have a product that is more top of mind during a time like this and we immediately started to see 
increased traffic, increased sales. And so, you know, I think if we were not the people we are, we may have sent out, you know, flash sales or emails that said, you know, are you anxious? Are you scared? You should be creating your will right now. But that just <laughs> doesn't fit with this brand that we've tried to create that's all about empathy and empowerment. So, you know, our first email that we sent out, which was about a week after it happened, was just a letter from me saying, you know, here's why Kevin and I created this company. We know that you're probably feeling anxious. And it just had five or six resources on, you know, how to reduce anxiety, articles about nice. how to how to feel better. And it didn't have anything about willful. It was not marketing. It was more just a value add for customers. So I think the first step is to acknowledge that it's happening and not to, you know, pretend to market in a vacuum. The second key is to be add a personal touch to it, share your founder journey or talk a little bit about how this is affecting your team, because everyone wants to feel like we're all in this together. And I think the third key is add value, you know, uh, whether that's us sending out a link to an anxiety reducing um, article or some of the other things that people have done, like Nixware, uh, which is a lingerie brand in Canada that's producing PPE for the front lines. Um, I think there's a, everyone has kind of sought to find a way to add value, either monetarily or otherwise. And so those are kind of the three keys, I think, to to marketing during this time. And yeah, to your point about uh, specific examples. I mean, I've seen so many companies step up during this time, whether that's, you know, local restaurants that are cooking for the front lines and delivering food or companies yep. like Nix that have, or Inkbox actually, Nix and Inkbox, uh, two former clients of mine, they both redirected their manufacturing capabilities to manufacture PPE and to encourage donations. So uh, I think a lot of um, a lot of businesses have have stepped up with checks, especially big businesses. And for companies like ours that can't necessarily give millions of dollars, I think we've tried to find different ways to give back, whether that's through donation drives or a percentage of sales or free product. Um, so it's been really great to see the business community just come together to, to try to yeah. help. Absolutely. Um, that being said, because you do have a relevant service, um, someone did ask how, you know, how this was affecting the estate planning uh, business. Um, but because, you know, Willful did have, could play a role in this um, and you had an uptick in inquiries, I wanted to know about um, what, what Willful did recently. I thought it was amazing. I know it's now closed. Um, but you had offered something to support healthcare workers um, with emergency planning. So I would love if you could talk to us about what Wellful did and, and how you stepped up. Yeah, I mean, again, to uh, to your point, it's a little... It, it, I really struggled with how to respond to all of this as a business owner because uh, we fortunately have not been negatively affected by COVID-19 as a team. Uh, obviously we're work working remotely and there's been adjustments to our business. But when I look at friends who have co-working spaces or gyms or restaurants, we're just not in the same space. We have a digital product that, uh, and we had our busiest month ever last month. Um, and I struggle with that for two reasons. Number one, people are buying our product out of not great motivation, right? They're buying it out of anxiety and fear right. and, and not what we would want to, to have them buy it out of, which is just, you know, um, getting something checked off their to-do list. So how do you actually deal with the fact that people are coming and buying your product for a reason that you hope didn't exist? And then, you know, second, how do you reconcile as a business owner, your business doing well when a lot of your peers and friends in the industry uh, are going through their worst time ever? So I think the, the first thing that we asked ourselves was how can we actually provide value? So 
the first thing that we did is um, a lot of people have lost access to, to printers. So we offered a free printing and shipping service. So uh, we ate, you know, thousands of dollars of printing costs and shipped out. I think it was about 400 packages last month that wow. Kevin and I uh, printed a package by hand because we don't typically offer that service and we wanted to make sure it was done well. So Kevin and I spent way too much time printing and shipping wills last month, but it was a way that we could add value um, and people seemed to really appreciate it. And then the other thing that we did is offer free plans to frontline healthcare workers. Uh, unfortunately, healthcare workers like, you know, the elderly or immunocompromised people, they are at a higher risk for contracting COVID. And so mm -hmm. uh, this was a direct response to um, hospital workers coming to us and saying, our administrators, our bosses are telling us to get these documents in place. Uh, so we thought, you know, we can't produce masks or PPE, but we can uh, help the people who are on the front lines. So we initially said that we were going to give away uh, a thousand plans, but we ended up giving out over two thousand, and we had you know oh. really amazing demand from from nurses and doctors and other frontline workers all across Canada. So that was a really cool initiative, and uh, and we got great you know feedback from that. And then just on the corporate side, I sent out a, a few tweets the other week just about how as a company that is doing well or hasn't been negatively affected, I think we almost have an obligation to try to support small business through this as well. So, you know, we give weekly credits to our employees to use at local small businesses and restaurants. Uh, we get we do weekly game sessions where, you know, we're not spending on snacks and booze like we normally would as a small business. So we're putting that into prizes for Uber Eats credits to buy from local restaurants. And, um, you know, we're continuing to pay the small businesses that clean our offices and that, you know, we we have on our um, accounts receivable. So just little things like that. But I think that's kind of how we tackled how do we feel OK about this as a business that is doing okay through this and then how do we actually add value to to customers exactly i think i think it's really helpful well it's a great situation where your business the actual clients you serve the general public and, and the product you're offering are kind of all intertwined it's not like a very far stretch to have this impact and have this positive impact and i think some brands may have tried a little bit too hard to kind of make it fit into their marketing efforts and you can kind of see that it comes off as a little bit disingenuous at times. So um, I obviously, yeah, I, I think you guys did amazing. I think you got uh, quite a bit of coverage from that too. Um, so hopefully that kind of helped more people to know about these, um, just, just the education piece, like the reminder to start thinking about something like estate planning, even though you're in an unfortunate situation. Um, I, would, I would also love to talk a little bit about, you know, you're an advisor to a few different startups. Um, we'll switch gears away from, from Willful. Um, so what's one of the common challenges that startups face when it comes to scaling their business? Um, and that can include, of course, challenging times like this. Um, but sometimes scaling happens at, you know, uh, increased demand happens unexpectedly, right? Yeah, well, first, thank you, Evan, for the comment about business owners getting our hands dirty. When you are an early stage startup, as I still consider us, we are constantly getting our hands dirty, whether we want to or not. Um, you know, one day I'll have that executive assistant like in the movies, but that day is not today. Uh, but yeah, Daniel, great question. I think, um, you know, one of the challenges that we've faced, and I think every business faces is just how to fund your business as it scales. 
I mean, getting the money to even start your company is one thing. Maybe you have a loan, maybe you have some savings, maybe you've had some friends and family put in money. But once you, you know, get that product launched, there's the challenge of how am I actually going to take it to the next level and fund it? And there are so many different options available, but I think we found it really difficult navigating which ones were actually right for us. As an early stage startup, I think every bank markets to small businesses as if they're just the friendliest source of capital that you could ever find. And we actually found in reality that was so untrue. It was the complete opposite. I mean, um, we were doing well and, and, you know, had sales to speak of, but we couldn't get a bank. I don't even think we still could get a bank to give us a credit card for more than, you know, a hundred dollars. We couldn't get any sort of line of credit or credit vehicle at all. So we had to run the business off of my personal credit card for over a year because we couldn't find any bank or institution mm -hmm. in Canada that would give us any sort of credit instrument. And even, you know, I think BDC has hopefully added some programs since we chatted with them, but it, also wasn't friendly to look at at sources like BDC just because a lot of them are personally guaranteed. And I think what COVID has highlighted is that a lot of the business owners out there who are being offered personally guaranteed loans where they have to put their house or their car or any asset that they have as collateral if it doesn't work out, that's not helpful to a small business owner because you know, you've probably worked really hard in a previous career to get that <laughs> asset and right. you, you know going into starting a business that it's risky and that you don't know how it's gonna work out. And so this idea of when I'm already going through my worst time ever for a lot of business owners right now, the only way that I'm going to fund and get through this is by putting up my own home. Like it's just not even uh, realistic. And that's what we found. We couldn't find any sources of capital that weren't personally asking for personal guarantees. Um, and that was really disappointing because we feel, you know, I felt like I'd been working in the startup space for over a decade. I'd written about all of these, you know, banks and funding sources who build themselves yeah. as entrepreneur friendly. And we found that just in reality, that wasn't the case. And so as entrepreneurs are looking to scale, I think that becomes the biggest challenge. How are you actually going to get money to hire people to put into marketing, knowing that there's a big, you know, threshold for when banks will actually be able to give you that money. It's usually about a million dollars in revenue a year. So how do you get from dollar number one <laughs> to dollar a million? And yeah. that, that's, <laughs> the challenge that exists and the funding gap that exists for Canadian entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And so right now, it's interesting to see that there is a ton of funding becoming available for entrepreneurs to try to help not only on not only sustaining their businesses, but also with things like rent. And there's a ton of the um, shred money for innovation and, and research, which is great. Um, but of course, there's still a lot of barriers for many of these businesses that are actually unable to apply. They're not, they're not eligible for one reason or another. So um, definitely, definitely a tough time. And I can see how that is one of the challenges that you see come up with startups for sure. Um, now let's talk about when it comes to marketing during the pandemic, you gave some great examples of companies that were doing a good job and you shared what Willful is doing, but I'd love to know what are some things that brands should actually avoid when marketing during the pandemic? Some of these could sound super obvious to you, but for people out there, um, yeah, what should we avoid? Well, I'm sure you have some great thoughts on this as well. So I'd love to hear your take, but 
you know, I think, um, I think avoiding being opportunistic, right? Like a lot of people are producing products or services that are more in demand. So, you know, we saw um, Pusateri's grocery store in Toronto get called out for someone, yes. you know, marking up and price gouging uh, hand sanitizer or Lysol wipes. So, I mean, that's a really obvious no-no, you know, um, not just because even if you can do it doesn't mean you should, right? I mean, yes, you could increase the price of toilet paper or a whole bunch of other products. But I think the key thing to remember is that people are going to remember how brands dealt with COVID, not only how they treated their customers, but also how they treated their employees. So the things to avoid, I actually haven't seen too many on the marketing side outside of just maybe some businesses being tone deaf, you know, sending out promotional emails and you know, not really mentioning anything and it kind of just seeming like they were existing in a vacuum uh, mm -hmm. and the businesses that are price gouging. But I think it's more on the company operation side that we've seen a lot of horror stories like, you know, companies that are doing mass layoffs on Zoom and, uh, you know, doing them on a mass Zoom call with no advance warning. Yeah. Uh, there was a co-working space in New York called the, the Wing that did a bunch of layoffs. And one of the employees tweeted that they found out about it from a news article because they didn't actually let them know first. Um, you know, I think it was Bird or Lime. One of those scooter companies did mass layoffs on Zoom and the managers didn't, you know, follow up with their employees. So I think there's a lot of uh, examples of brands just not really treating their employees like human beings and using empathy during this time. And I, I yes. completely get it's a difficult time. And a lot of these companies may not have HR resources. But, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm definitely a, a very empathetic person and a very empathetic leader. And I just can't imagine, you know, doing mass layoffs and not doing it in a way that was very thoughtful. Um, and then you've also heard, I've heard some people on Twitter you know, forcing their employees to keep their webcams on all day so that they can uh, make sure that they're working. And, you know, yeah. it's just, again, it comes down to employers not trusting their team. And, uh, and those are the things that I think people are going to remember when this is over, not just the tone deaf marketing or the price gouging. They're going to remember how people treated their employees. And that's how they're going to choose to spend their dollars when all of this is over. 100%. I think, you can definitely see some of those leaders coming through that are very empathy focused or employee focused companies because that can become your new content marketing on its own. It's just simply sharing how you're supporting your staff and how you're supporting your community. And of course, there's still ways to do that and mess that up by, by coming across as, you know, promoting and, and boasting at your donations and your contributions. But I still think it's my view on it at least is that it's very um, encouraging to at least show inspire and remind others that they should also make some type of positive impact when they can. Um, there, there was one really funny example though of these ads that all these major brands had rolled out ads, um, which is, you know, that whole, we're here for you. And, you know, these are tough times and that type of thing. And it was, it's all using like stock footage basically, right? Cause no one's out there shooting new production. Um, I'll, I will share the link to this video, but it was like, 20 or 30 ads all sliced together with the same music, the same tone, <laughs> and it's like car companies and, and, and every, every type of business. Anyways, um, and I think someone, I think it was Evan who did um, mention that, right? Where startups are, or sorry, companies are just straight up um, using those things that make you cringe. And I think it's, they're doing more harm than good. So for some companies, it's good to take a bit of a backseat. I don't know if you agree, but maybe some companies could, you know, pull some of their ad spend and, and kind of regroup for a bit first and kind of see how things play out, right?
Yeah, and to your point, I mean, there are a lot of big companies that have launched great initiatives, like their the you know corporate donations to yep. COVID nineteen frontline workers, or producing PPE, or um, you know deferring payments on on things, knowing that customers are going through a really tough time. But yes. yeah. I think a lot of the ads that I've seen, I mean, I still have cable. That's how you know I'm 34. Uh, <laughs> and every ad looks the same and has the same message. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah. like, you know, someone on Twitter said, if I open another marketing email and the first line has the word unprecedented, I'm going to lose <laughs> it, right? Because everyone's, everyone's marketing messages just sound the same. And to your point, I think it's that, that me too mentality of, every brand feeling like if they don't say something, then yeah. they're going to be left out somehow. And sometimes just staying silent is a little bit better or letting your actions speak louder than words, right? Totally, to your point, totally. you know, it, I, I, there's a famous Friends episode where Phoebe says, you know, you can't do anything altruistic without actually feeling good about it. But a lot of brands are very public about the, the donations that they're making because they want to use it as a marketing tool instead of just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's been interesting. I think a good a good kind of um, cross between both of those is doing some type of challenge or campaign where you're not just donating and, and talking about it, but you're doing some type of campaign with your customers or with your audience. And I think um, Paramount has done an amazing job. Paramount Fine Foods, mm -hmm. they, they're always, the founder, Mohammed, he's always um, donating and doing these community initiatives. But um, what's amazing is that um, he's done some challenges with like the city of Mississauga and he's gone trying to get a bunch of mayors on board to all commit to something and they're, and they're doing challenges. So for that, I think um, there's definitely some creative ways where more, you can do a lot of good. Um, Anthony here comments, he liked your, your friends reference. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so like we talked about, obviously there's, there's a lot of people that are in need. Um, I would love to touch on kind of the corporate social responsibility side and how you can build that into your startup, right? Or it's not just this afterthought, oh no, what can we do to, to donate? Um, so there's obviously Leave a Legacy Month, which is happening now. So the, the timing works really well for Willful. Um, but I'd love to also talk about, you know, your work with the Upside Foundation and how you're supporting healthcare um, through, through that as well. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I think, uh you know, to your point about Paramount, I think the, the founder of that company has really built such an amazing brand around being an altruistic, you know, socially responsible company. And I don't think that that's because he's sat in some boardroom and strategized about it. I just think he's a good person who just right. cares about helping people in the community. And so, uh, you know, when you are a startup, I think it can be difficult to think about how to bake that in because number one, you're usually so, you know, um, stressed about things like building your product or your service or finding clients or meeting payroll that it just doesn't tend to be priority number one. It's often right. once things are, you know, smooth sailing, that's when you start to think about a corporate social responsibility strategy. Um, so I think for, for Kevin, you know, when he was incorporating the business, it was really important to bake that mission in. I mean, he has the mission behind the company. We have the mission, which is, you know, help every Canadian get a will, whether that's with us or otherwise, and to educate people about the importance of these things. But then there's also a mission to just leave a positive impact and make you know, the world a better place, hopefully through running our company. So mm -hmm. the first thing that he did was pledge 1% of our equity to the Upside Foundation, which you mentioned, but so I know Jen was in here 
Parlayer yep. is one of my favorite organizations, and it essentially allows you to commit a percentage of your company's equity to a charity of your choice at the time that you sell your business or IPO or have some sort of liquidity event. And the thing that's great about that is number one, it doesn't cost you a penny uh, right now. They have partnerships with law firms that will actually help you get all of the documentation in place. And you know, number two, it allows you to uh, get that done at the beginning before you have a bunch of venture capitalists and other people who might have something to say about you giving up a chunk of your cap table. Uh, right. So the earlier you can get that done, the better. And again, it allows you to signal to everyone, yeah, I might not have given a million dollar donation to Sick Kids Now or to any organization, but I'm the kind of company that cares from day one about having an impact on charities and nonprofits, and I've baked it into my company from the beginning. So it's a great signal to potential employees, potential investors about the kind of company that you are. Uh, and you can choose who you want that, that donation to go to if and when it gets realized, but, um, but it's just a great thing to bake in from day one. Uh, and they have companies like Wellsimple that, you know, look, they've, they've made that commitment a long time ago, and now their company's worth a lot more money. <laughs> that could actually be a, a lot of money for charity down the road. Um, the second thing that we've done just, you know, small, when I had my agency, we did a lot of pro bono work, and I'm sure that you do a lot of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, you can't really do that when you're a product company, right? You can't do free services for people other than giving away free plans. So yeah. uh, we just tried to bake in things like um, volunteer days. So, you know, giving each employee a day off every year to be able to, to volunteer for an organization that they care about. Uh, we do some corporate volunteering things together through uh, organizations like the Upside Foundation. Um, and then we also just have earmarked uh, in our budget a dollar amount for charitable donations every year. Now, again, we're a startup, so it's not a huge amount, but it is a line item in our budget, and it's very clearly earmarked on an annual basis. And that tends to be a mix of, you know, causes that our employees care about, as well as causes that, um, that Kevin and I support. You know, he's on the board at Toronto Western Hospitals uh, Young Patrons Board. I'm on the board of Save the Children Canada, and we're both on the Tech for Sick Kids board at Sick Kids. So uh, we've started to build philanthropy into our lives a lot more as founders and just as, as people. And so I think that's really part of our core values at Willful. Uh, and then on the other side of it, how do we actually influence good through Willful's product? There right. is something called uh, Bequest, which is essentially a gift that you leave in your will to charity. And so from day one, it was really important to Kevin that we uh, you know, shone a spotlight on the fact that you can make these donations because not everybody knows that you can leave a gift to charity or any organization in your will. Uh, and then we actually encourage everybody who goes through the Willful platform to do that. So if you sign up for Willful, you'll see there's a charitable donations page that highlights some of our featured charity partners that links to Canada Helps to help you find any organization that you might want to leave a gift to. And it allows you to leave either a dollar amount or a percentage of your residual estate, what's left after debts, taxes, gifts have been given out, etc. And again, just like the Upside Foundation, leaving a gift in your will essentially does not involve opening your wallet today. So for anyone who might be going through a tough time because of COVID, you don't have to give $20 a month or $50 one-time gift. You can just add a charity to your, to your will. And then whether it's in 10 years, 20, 50 years, that has an impact, a positive impact on an organization. And I can say from being on the board at Save the Children, 
these gifts are so meaningful to charities because they're often very unexpected. They don't know that they're coming and they're a big way that they fund the work that they're doing that doesn't really involve you lifting a finger today and actually helps your estate be more tax efficient. So, uh, so we're very passionate about that. This month is leave a legacy month. So if you are inclined to update your will or create your will to leave a gift to charity, uh, this is really the month when, when that conversation is happening. Amazing. And I love the examples, like you said, of it kind of being built in. There's so many different ways where you can build it in. It could be through events. It could be through things that you do with your employees, allowing them to have ways that they can contribute to charity um, that you'll support or match, for example. Um, and of course, there's these one-off situations like what's happening right now with the Upside Foundation. They are launching the Homefront uh, initiative to support frontline workers. So that's one of the ways that uh, project that I'm involved in, we're able to actually tie it in from the very beginning, um, from day one, where 10% of sales will go directly into that cause. And so um, I think someone commented here about Salesforce giving 1% of profits to social causes. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies do have policies like this. Um, and as Aaron mentioned, if you are, you know, to, if you feel like, you know, cash flow is obviously an issue when you're starting from scratch, from starting from zero, um, committing that, that you'll be able to donate later, um, is, is an amazing opportunity. So definitely check out, um, Upside Foundation and, and some of these other options that exist right now. Um, and also in-kind donations and support are, are always helpful depending on what your business actually does or what you can provide. Um, switching gears a bit from that, uh, I'd love to, I know you've obviously been involved in podcasting. You, you, you're, I don't know when it stopped, but you were on the CanCon podcast. I used to love listening to that through beta kit. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to know if there's any podcasts or publications right now that you think, um, entrepreneurs should look into, um, either in the startup stage or people who are looking to actually grow and scale. What are some of your go-to, uh, resources? I, I'm probably like you. I love listening to any stories about entrepreneurs. My favorite thing is hearing, you know, how an entrepreneur came up with their idea and how they just overcame obstacles to get it off the ground. So, yes. um, and I'm a huge podcast person. I'm an advisor to Quill, the, which helps you create podcasts easily. So, uh, yeah, definitely a passion of mine. My favorite entrepreneurship podcast, uh, How I Built This, which I'm sure many people have yep. mentioned in the past. Uh, episode number one, the interview with Sarah Blakely from Spanx is one of my favorite entrepreneurial stories ever. And obviously, she's a, a huge role model for any entrepreneur, but specifically female entrepreneurs. Um, I also really love the pitch, which is essentially, you know, Dragon's Den or Shark Tank in podcast form. I love yes. it because uh, there's a Canadian connection. Michael Hyatt, who's a really successful Canadian entrepreneur, he's one of the judges on it. And um, I think it's, it's always fun to listen to someone who you know or have seen speak before. And it also just gives you a ton of great, you know, tips on how to articulate your business, how to answer questions. Uh, what investors are looking for. And it's just entertaining, tons of really cool ideas. Uh, so that's another one. And then here in Toronto, I really like uh, Floater Founder, which is uh, a podcast that interviews, you know, local entrepreneurs. So it's really great to hear the celebrity entrepreneurs that you admire and read about all the time. But uh, I like Floater Founder just because it's a, and the business leadership podcast, just because they both interview people that you probably know and have met at events. And it's really great to hear their backstory. Um, so those are a few. And then in terms of, you know, other resources, I mean, obviously, I'm a big Shark Tank fan, but that's more <laughs> Hollywood than it is reality. <laughs> um, yeah. But the book that I, I think you sent over a question in advance, I mentioned books and my 
favorite book, the book I recommend every entrepreneur read, especially if you ever plan to raise funding, is called Venture Deals by Brad Feld. It's basically a primer, a 101 on the different sources of funding for entrepreneurs, uh, how to read a term sheet if you ever get one from a venture capitalist, how venture capital firms are structured and what they're motivated by. Uh, it has sections on things like convertible debt and crowdfunding and also on uh, LOIs and what happens if you actually get an acquisition offer at some point. So in my opinion, it is the essential uh, reading for any entrepreneur, uh, regardless of what stage you're at. I read it you know, earlier this year when I wish I'd probably read it 10 years ago, but hey, better late than never. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge variety of resources that I think um, what's really important, like you said, is to, to with podcasts is you can keep current, right? you can constantly be inspired by those stories. And even if it just changes the way you think about one thing, it's it's always going to be valuable, right? I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes it's, it's hard to always be consumed by entrepreneurship content. Um, but there's certain podcasts that put it in such a they, they do it as a really great storytelling. Um, like the pitches is, is great because yes, just recording of a pitch, but the way it's kind of edited and the narration that's there immerses you in that story. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Business Wars, the podcast. Yes, I love that one. Yeah, so I, I love that one because it's so well produced and it's just like there's, you know, different voices and different like characters almost. Um, I'm, I'm, I listened to the one about uh, Dunkin' Donuts competing with Starbucks. Um, and I'm listening to, to one of them now as well. So anyways, tons of podcasts that, that we can talk about. Um, but I wanted to, to wrap up by um, switching gears to a little bit of the advice, general advice. If there's one thing that you want every founder uh, or marketer to take away from today's conversation, given that it's, very, um, it's a very rapidly changing time, um, is there something that you'd like to share with entrepreneurs or, or founders during this time? Yeah, well, first I want to say hi to Danielle for joining. Thanks yes. for joining. Uh, and Evan, I'm going to write down that book because Kevin is now uh, doing a lot of product stuff at Willful and so Running Lean sounds like a great read. Um, and I think you had asked about uh, remote work and what we're doing for the office. So we're definitely going to go back to the office after this, just because we just signed a three-year lease in February. So <laughs> if we didn't, we'd still be paying for it for a few years. Yes. Uh, but this has really opened my mind to uh, the possibility for full-time remote work. And to be honest, staring at my big backyard in Prince Edward County, thinking about going back to my 600-square-foot condo in Toronto, uh, it's a little bit more attractive thinking of remote work as a long-term viability. Um, but yeah, Danielle will probably laugh when I say this because I was definitely a broken record when we worked together at, uh, at the agency. But my biggest piece of advice for any founder or any professional, regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur or not, is to focus on your personal brand and building your network. Yes. Um, I often am a broken record with anyone who works for me that this is the most important thing you can be doing. And that's because while you read a very shiny, lovely bio at the beginning of this uh, Insta Live, you don't know from that bio that I was part of a startup that uh, ran out of money and had to shut down, that I was laid off on a conference call from uh, post media. So I've definitely had those those peaks in my career, but also those valleys. And the valleys are really when I saw the power of a network of having people that you can go for coffee with and, you know, make connections. And as an entrepreneur, your network is going to be a source of 
you know, intros to investors, uh, recommendations for journalists or media that you should be talking to. Uh, you know, people are going to move into positions where they might be customers or partners or uh, might just spread the word about what you're doing. So yes. uh, I spent yep. a lot of time early in my career shaking people's hands at events and meeting people through social media. And my network has been the single biggest tool uh, in my my arsenal for uh, just growing my career, but also growing my businesses. And it's definitely a two way street, right? I do as much as I can to help people, whether that's giving advice or having coffees or pick your brain chats or uh, making intros. Uh, I think it's remember to build your network, but also remember it's a reciprocal thing. And the more value that you put out into the world, the more people are going to be willing to go out of their way for you. Absolutely. And in times like this, when you're not able to go to conferences and events, it, your existing network that you've built so far is, is really going to help carry you through that as well. And I think, you know, finding great ways to nurture them through um, things like Instagram lives, through, you know, Zoom chats, through great uh, LinkedIn content where you can really be engaging and open up. Um, before we go, I wanted to also shout out the series that you were doing on your own Instagram account, um, which was featuring small businesses. Can you talk a little bit about some of those categories and some of the people that you put up there? Yeah, well, it was kind of a direct response to all of the small businesses that I saw struggling and again, wanting to do something to help but not having billions of dollars yet. Um, so I was featuring small businesses every day. I still am more on a weekly basis, um, just because it takes a long time, just like printing <laughs> wills. Uh, but yeah, I shared over 300 to date. There's highlights on my profile that have a list of all of them. Uh, and there's everything, you know, I did theme days. So, you know, Mother's Day gifts is coming tonight. So watch out for that. Uh, you know, service businesses that you might want to support like now. Um, but yeah, it was just a way to kind of shine a spotlight on some, some of these small businesses. And honestly, so many of them reached out just to say thank you for, for thinking of us, like whether or not anyone purchases based on your post, the fact that you're just even putting the word out there is really helpful. So these small business owners, it helps to brighten their day, right? And um, yep. so I, you know, my challenge to everyone watching or anyone who does watch this at any point is whether we're in the middle of COVID or not, highlight three of your favorite small businesses on any of your social media platforms. And I promise it will brighten their day. Love that takeaway. Thank you so much, Erin. We appreciate you coming on, sharing your story and some, some tips right now. And, uh, we know you're extremely busy, so you can get back to that. Um, but we are going to record this and put this up as a podcast as well on Now Common Convo. So for anyone who tuned in late um, or hasn't seen it yet or sees this in the replay, it will be on the podcast. So thank you so much, Aaron. I'm just going to do some wrap ups now and you can get back to printing wills. Or <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for joining from Paris, France. We really appreciate it. And I will say au revoir now. Amazing. Terrible Canadian accent. Bye, Daniel. <laughs> Thanks so much for hosting. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. All right, so thank you so much to Aaron for joining. Um, I'm just gonna touch really quickly on what else is happening with Now Common Convos. Um, so we have coming up next week on Monday, we have Amber Mack. Um, she's gonna talk about the future of digital and tech for entrepreneurs. Um, Amber Mack has been a host on uh, a number of uh, awesome TV shows, radio shows, podcasts. Um, uh, she's a ton of does a ton of emceeing, but she's very very uh, knowledgeable in the startup space. So she joined earlier in the in the live, which is great. Um, so check it out on Monday at 1:30. And as well, if you're interested, now common convos we do put it up as a podcast, and we do have a meetup group if you would like to join and find out every single week on Monday. 
Um, yeah, thank you so much to everyone who joined so far, and we will see you next week.